The age-old story of Easter, a miraculous and triumphant story of death and resurrection. A story of the King of Kings and a prophecy fulfilled. But is there more to the story? What about the encounters along the way? Encounters that set the scene and played a part in the telling of this story of all stories. Life-altering, perspective-shifting, heart-transforming encounters. Thank you for joining us as we continue our encounter series. On last week, we discovered that actually our unresolved issues with God can be barriers to us experiencing life-altering encounters with Jesus. And we discovered this inside, inside of a fascinating small story in Luke chapter 13 about a woman who had been bent over for 18 years, kept that way by a spirit, until one day in her synagogue, she had a life-altering encounter with Jesus, and it radically transformed her life. She straightened up in the words of the text. As a matter of fact, here's what the text says, and this is where we ended last weekend. Then he put his hands, he meaning Jesus, put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. All right? Now, here's another uh, similar Jesus encounter story. Check out this video. What's up, everybody? I get to hang out here with the, the director of connections for our San Jose campus, Christina Allo. And uh, I want to hear she, her share just a little bit about her Jesus encounter. Last weekend, Christina, you know, I talked about the woman who was crippled and bent over for 18 years. And then Jesus showed up at her synagogue and uh, set her free, laid both hands. I love that, that imagery, both hands on her and made his love concrete. She stood straight up uh, and began to praise God. You have a story that is somewhat similar to that. Uh, so we want to hear about your encounter. So let's just start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your beginning. Well, um, first of all, my, you know, I was born and raised in Hawaii. Um, my parents were, were young parents, really young parents, um, working class family. And then eventually my parents split up. Um, you know, I had two more siblings, Andrea, who you all know, and then I have a brother named Joshua. Um, and so when they were kids, my parents split up. Um, and in the midst of all that, you know, um, in the midst of that, 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 that first event, um, you know, that same year, um, I was molested by a family member, um, mm -hmm. who actually the year before, uh, introduced me to marijuana. Um, and so marijuana, you know, sort of was like, you know, cool things to do. Um, uh, but it was something that I, you know, regularly did from that time on, um, by the time I was, you know, 14, when my parents divorced was fully finalized, I was, <laughs> really a part, you know, partying a lot. But even though you made a choice to finish high school, you said that when you started thinking about college, you had some unfortunate encounters in reference to that. Describe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there were a couple of people. One of them was my uh, high school counselor, you know, as, as a senior, we were meeting and going over, you know, my path and whatnot. And, you know, um, she basically told me that I wasn't college material. You know, she's like, you know, you could probably go to community college and, you know, go that route if you wanted to, but you know, you don't, you don't, you're not going to be able to go to a regular college. And then I had taken another test um, 
uh, for, I think it was for a military test. The guy there had said to me, you know, judging by my scores or the things that I had that, you know, and I don't remember the context. Um, I remember him saying, you're never going to, you're not going to be able to finish anything you start. And then, you know, a part of your story, you end up being a bartender and you make a decision to go to San Francisco. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of different types of jobs. And so one of the jobs that I had was actually working for a liquor company. And my job was to throw parties. And so and I was already like, you know, Monday through Friday, pay, you know, go to work, pay the bills. And on the weekend, it was turn up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was party city. Um, but that job and the, most of my jobs in the food and beverage industry kind of gave way for me to um, to live that lifestyle of, you know, smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol. Um, and it was in my early 30s where I ended up, you know, uh, just experimenting with a bunch of different types of drugs was introduced to uh, one particular drug that I got really addicted to. Of course, that was crystal meth. Mm. And, um, you know, it just kind of sent me over the deep end. Like I lost control over the organized chaos in which I was living in. You know, I was able to kind of handle function in my addiction, not knowing I was an addict. Wow. Um, but that really brought those things out of me. And then um, woke up on a Sunday morning. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. So here I am. And this is going to sound strange, but I was sitting in a club on a Sunday morning while everyone was in church. Um, I was sitting at a club um, and I had been up for a long time. And, you know, at that time, by that point, I was mixing up all kinds of drugs. I shouldn't be able to speak right now. If I think about all that stuff, but mm. I was sitting in the club. And I started to hear these voices. And of course, these voices at the time were telling me to kill myself, mm. um, calling my, calling me names. It wasn't me. I wasn't calling myself names. But there were these voices telling me that I shouldn't even be alive right now. I should be dead. No one cares. There's people going on with their lives, your family, your friends, everyone you think you thought may have loved you. They're not even thinking twice about you right now because you're worthless. There's no reason. Like if you were to disappear off this earth, no one would miss you. And I believed it. Um, but then there was another voice that was saying, don't listen to those voices. Those aren't, that's not true. You are love. I love you. And so, I mean, even in this time, I knew that God existed. Like God was talking to me. Um, and I hope telling people hear this. Here you are in like this, whole, you were in a club, you were strung mm -hmm. out and God was talking to you. I hope right. That's awesome. And and here's the thing, like in the middle of me realizing, like I started seeing demons, just the spirit of this misery that was just looming over. I saw demons on people's backs and, you know, kind of like with whips and everybody was in bondage, including myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt God at that moment, God said to me, when I tell you to move, move, I want you to get out of here and go, go to church. So I moved when God said, get up and go. I got up. I walked out of the club 9 a.m. in the morning, had my club clothes on. Um, and I started walking up the street to the only church I knew, which was Glide, because I used to go and visit it from time to time when I was a non-believer, you know, like just wanted to check out their choirs. That's the only church I knew. And so I went into the church and I, this family, for some reason, called me over to them. I sat there and I just cried and cried and cried and cried. I told God I was so tired. Um, but, and you would think that that was the day that I gave my life to the Lord. 
but I wasn't, that wasn't the day pastor. Cause I went out of that church for six days. I went to a friend's house out of the city, try to get sober. And then six days later, I decided that I was going to live my life being a functioning addict until I die. And I had accepted that. And then until you, you, you essentially were just going to kill yourself by just doing drugs, essentially. Yep. Three months later, you're in a thrift thrift store, right? And uh, well, it was actually a month later. Yeah. A month later. So, okay. monthly, so one month later, I'm still like, I'm living this whole life still in this demonic realm, seeing demons everywhere. The voices are so loud. Kill yourself, kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do more drugs because that's the only way that this misery stops. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and no one loves you and you even hate yourself. And, you know, um, God is there, you know, the whole time you know, I look back and he was fighting for me. He was saying, that's not true. Don't listen to it. And so I ended up in this thrift store um, waiting for a friend to come home who lived nearby. And uh, I was in there tr- looking at these dresses as 92 pounds. Um, these size zero dresses were drowning on me. I look like death. Um, I start having a meltdown right there in the store. And I don't know if people were in it or not, but I just started having a meltdown. And then I said, God, just end my life now. I don't want to live anymore. I'm done. I wasted whatever, whatever it was you're supposed to do with this. I didn't do anything with it, you know, um, and I'm done. I want to stop breathing right now. So if you could help me out um, or if you want to do something with this life, you just have at it, but I'm not going to live anymore. I'm not doing anything more. I really believe that if I could have stopped my myself from breathing, I would have, because mm. I you know, I didn't know how to end my life. I just wanted it to end. Wow. And how did God respond in that moment? That moment, I felt this sort of like, you know, when you chew gum, the bubblicious gum, and in the middle is that fruit, juicy fruit center. I felt like that juicy fruit center in the, like just deep in my soul, just burst, burst open. And it just permeated, just covered in from the inside out out into my whole body and I felt this warm beautiful magical supernatural love that I had never experienced a day in my life wow god voice all of a sudden those voices that were constantly tormenting me gone wow all I could hear was the voice of the lord just saying I love you I have you. I got you. I've, I've got you. Um, And so we made our covenant that day. You know, I'm walking, I stood up straight, you know, Amen. I went to sleep and I never used, it's been over 18 years now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 18 years into the future. Two minutes left. But okay. summarize where you're, where, 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 how, how has that encounter? That was your God encounter, your Jesus encounter. How has that changed your, your trajectory 18 years later? Well, 18 years later, God has systematically made or ordered my world like chaos that he stepped into, right? Yeah. Like he's the God that steps into chaos and makes order. He taught me how to walk. In him, he taught me how to eat spiritually. He gave, put people in my life that have encouraged me at every every stage of my belief. And these are people in the church. Um, that these have been pillars of my life. 
that have walked with me spiritually that have been, I have friends now that have had for over, you know, that I've had for over 15, 16 years, that mm-hmm. great friends mm-hmm. I have um, just the great. And in terms of my career, he's called me into vocational ministry. I am a director of connections. Now um, I got to be a part of, of, of launching and founding new beginnings. New beginnings. And, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Being a part of what what God is doing here. And God is I'm so humble because he he was like, you get to be a part of this. I get to be a part of something new. And 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 it's it's fitting because I got a new beginning. Um, and I've got to be a part of, of new beginnings and to see other new beginnings. And what um, about college? What about college? Oh, Don't this yeah. And so over the pandemic, I called a counselor to find out, you know, all these stops and starts that I've had with school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out that I wasn't far from getting my AA. So I went back to school and this June I will be graduating with two AAs. Um, and um, I'm waiting to hear about the next program so that I can get into uh, uh, get my bachelor's in sociology. Amen. So I will be able to graduate and my prayer is to graduate in before I'm 60. I'm not going to tell you how many years that is, but it's coming up, but I'll be able to have my college degree. Um, if I have time, maybe a master's, who knows if that's what God wills and God provides the way. Yep. Everything that I start, God helps me finish. Yep. I think that's a great place to end guys. I hope that you all have been as blessed as I have been by this incredible, incredible experience of Christina's Jesus encounter. Change how you understood yourself and your place in the world. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for letting me share. I love sharing my story. Love you all. Now, I want you to keep Christina's amazing story in the backdrop of your mind. As I introduce you to the synagogue leader in the second part of this story, a fellow who in the face of this woman that we read about, who was bent over her remarkable miracle, confronts it with indignation and anger. And as a result of it, with Jesus standing right in front of him, this synagogue leader misses a life-altering Jesus encounter. How might this be? And how might this impact our own lives? Well, let's read the story and explore it together. Beginning in verse 14, notice how it starts. Indignant. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, talking to him and those who supported him, of course. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey? from the stall and lead it out to get water, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things Jesus was doing. And there ends the reading. Now, let me call to your attention that this woman who came into the synagogue, bent over, but left straightened up, was well known throughout this small village. That's how it is in small villages. Everybody knows everybody. 
So they knew that for the last 18 years that wherever they encountered this woman, she was bent over, whether it was at the village square or the marketplace or at her weekly attendance at the synagogue or showing up for family and friends. She was always bent over. So when they watched after Jesus laid his hands upon her and all of the love of the universe and the created order flows into her body and she stands straight up. They knew that what they were seeing, this improbable miracle, was absolutely authentic. And they recognized, many of them in that moment, a revelation that this one called Jesus was more than just a rabbi. Oh, could it be that in him was the God of the universe, Yahweh himself, standing in their midst. And here they were full of rejoicing and excitement. Well, as you hear this story, you may want to debate with different aspects of this biblical story. But you can't debate Christina's story. Ironically, as you have heard, for 18 years, Christina, in her own emotional and spiritual life, was crippled and bent over and held that way by spirit. While we don't know what were the trauma or traumas that caused the woman in the biblical story to be bent over, we do know about Christina's trauma. She shared it, right? The early divorce of her beloved parents, the molestations that took place at the age of 14, the, the early introduction to drugs that turned into a horrendous addiction. And it was true for Christina, even as it was true for this, this woman in the biblical text, when the verse says that she could in no way, couldn't in no way raise herself up, no matter how hard she tried. And we know why she couldn't raise herself up, Christina, that is, because she too was bound by a spirit. You heard her testimony, spirit of heavy drug addiction, the spirit of voices telling her that she was unlovable and not, not, had no purpose on the planet. The, the spirit of, of the voice of that person who said, you're not college material. And that other person who said, you'll never finish what you've started. Oh, that was the spirit that kept her down. And yet, standing in that thrift store, come on now, when she said to God, it's, you know, I, 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 I'm tied, you know, just take me. She described it was in that moment that the same Jesus laid his invisible hands upon her life and all of the love of the universe began to, 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 to well up in her soul and spill out all over her. She says that warm feeling that literally set her free. And like the woman in the text, Jesus could have easily declared what was true for her. Christina, you are and we know this is an authentic miracle, guys, because her parents and her siblings and those who used to hang with her back in that day, come on, uh, know that she's a different person. And those of us who have known her for the last 12 years, and those of you who are watching from San Jose campus, she's one of our leads working with Pastor Tilden, leading that campus. You guys ought to give a big praise shout. You ought to give a big hallelujah because, because the Christina that we know, come on now, it's not a drug addicted club hopping Christina. Oh no, she's fabulous. 
fabulous, brilliant, creative, come on now, committed to Jesus, changing lives, launching this church type Christina. That's who she is. Come on, somebody give God a hand praise. Just type in the, in the chat, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. For a life-altering encounter in Christina's life. And yet as I think about Christina, I've got to think about this woman in the text. And it strikes me that the immediate response of this synagogue leader in the midst of people celebrating. See, this synagogue leader, he knew this woman too. He had seen her about over the course of the last 18 years. He knew that this was an authentic miracle just like everybody else. And, and, and it's, it strikes me then that his first response is that of being indignant, angry, furious. Why? Well, his stated reason why it was that they were breaking the Sabbath law. There should be no healing on the Sabbath day, he would say. But I love verse 15 because Jesus, uh, as, as Luke describes him, the Lord responds. And the first thing Jesus says to him is uh, you hypocrites, meaning him and the few people who were his supporters in the synagogue. Now, in the Greek, the word hypocrite means an actor playing a role on a stage. It means somebody is pretending. And so what Jesus was saying is, is you're acting now, you're pretending now. What, what you're suggesting is the reason why you're so indignant and so upset and so angry uh, is, is, is not the true reason. And Jesus goes on and points out and says, look, I can prove it. It's not the, the true reason because before this Sabbath day is over, you know what you and your friends are going to do? Y'all going to go to your stall where you're going to find your ox and your donkey tied up. You're going to loose them and see to them getting watered by, before the end of the day. Surely, your animals are not more precious, not more valuable, not more important than this woman who is the daughter of Abraham, your sister. Surely, if you can loose your animals, come on now, I can loose this woman who's been bound by, for 18 years by Satan. What better way to give glory to God? So he exposes. Jesus says, hey, you know what? That's not the real reason you're upset. By the way, might I just suggest that so often people use religion as an excuse not to have a life-altering encounter with Jesus. Look at those preachers over there. They always fall. Look at those folk who go into church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I'm not serious. That's not what I'm not going to church. Listen, don't let religion be an excuse for missing your life-altering encounter with Jesus because at the end of the day, it's your salvation. It's your destiny. It's the empowerment that God wants to do in your life. It's the grace and the love and the mercy that God wants to pour into your life. Yeah. It's about you and Jesus. Don't use it as an excuse. Well, what was the real reason why this synagogue leader missed his encounter with Jesus standing right in front of him. Well, uh, it's best captured by three words. First of all, the crowd. Everybody shout the crowd. You see, as Jesus continued to perform miracles like he just performed, 
the revelation of him being God in the midst became brighter and brighter and his crowds grew larger and the synagogue leader and Jewish leaders like him, their crowds grew smaller. It was a crowd issue. Second, it's the control that, that, that as the crowds would shrink, then the control that the synagogue leader and others like him ultimately uh, expressed through power and prestige and prosperity became s- smaller, shrunk. And then, of course, what, what about their career dreams? Well, if the crowds shrink and their control got weak, come on now, then, then more than likely their career dreams were being threatened. You see, here's the real issue, that whenever Jesus shows up, notice how Luke describes Jesus in verse 15, the Lord. When Jesus shows up as the Lord, it threatens how we understand who we understand ourselves to be, and it threatens our place in the world. This synagogue leader was threatened the moment Jesus revealed who he was in the world. You see, the second insight that comes to mind about the synagogue leader. You see, he was trained in religious law. He had studied the Torah. Uh, He was fully familiar with all of the different ways that the God of Israel worked miraculously in in the lives of the nation of Israel. So when he saw what Jesus did, he should have immediately recognized that the Yahweh that he pursued, come on now, had showed up in the synagogue. And what he should have done was bent his back and bowed before Jesus, declaring, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But rather than bowing before Jesus, he decided to stand up to Jesus. And here's the statement he was making. You see, when we think about the crowd and the control that we want over our lives, as prosperity and all of that stuff, and our, and our dreams, these are elements of our story. And when Jesus shows up as Lord, he challenges us to to relinquish control over our story, over the narrative in our lives. And what this synagogue leader was saying, I I, I think I see who you are. I think I, I recognize who you might be. But no, 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 no way will I relinquish control over the narrative of my life. No way will I relinquish control of my story to you. I want to be in charge of my story. Who's listening to me today who have pushed Jesus back in your life because you are determined to be in charge of your own dreams and be in charge of your power pursuits and be in charge of your narrative of your story, which prohibits Jesus from being Lord. My goodness, that was the, that's what was going on in the synagogue leader. And do you know what? Suddenly exploding onto the scene is an incredible revelation. Suddenly we discover that not only is the woman, was the woman who was bent over bound by a spirit, we discover that the synagogue leader and those who supported him were bound by the same spirit. 
Y'all ain't listening to me. Come on now. Come on now. Uh, Jesus says that the woman was bound by the spirit of Satan. Uh, uh, quick translation of that word is, is, is accuser. And what, what's the first words that come out of the synagogue leader's mouth in the face of this great miracle? Rather than praising God, he's pointing fingers. Rather than celebrating the goodness of God, come on now. He's, he's critiquing and criticizing and talking about a calendar date. It, He's, he's, in the, he's in the mouthpiece of the accuser. Oh, we hear the, 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 the voice of the accuser there. Just like Christina heard the voices of the accuser when she was bound, telling her that she would never be anything. She should just wipe herself out. We heard that voice. But not only do we hear the voice of the accuser, but in his, watch this. Let's say it like this. When the woman comes into the synagogue, bent over, what binds her is obvious. When Christina was moving in through life during that first 18 years, highly addicted with destructive behavior, what bounded her, what bound her was obvious. However, while the synagogue leader was not addicted to drugs, he was addicted to the crowd. He was addicted to control. He was addicted to staying in charge of his own career, dream pursuits, even if it meant, come on now, dismissing the will of God. And, 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 and the synagogue woman, come on, she, she was exposed, but because his addiction was wrapped up into the norms of culture, come on, being addicted to crowds and control and, and being in charge of your dream uh, it made it possible for the synagogue leader to be bound and not even know that he was bound who's listening to me today and you're bound because you're addicted to the crowd uh, come on to what other people say you're addicted to control gotta control every detail of your life including the narrative of your own story you are addicted you refuse to release control over the dreams that you have for your life for your kids or your grandkids to release those controls you you you're bound could it be that you're bound wow so notice something powerful happens in Christina's story as we wrap this up. She says she's standing in the thrift shop and, and, and she doesn't even know it's a Christian one. And she looks in the mirror and she sees herself. 98 pounds, she describes, wasting away. The problem with the synagogue leader is he was unable to see himself. The problem with some of us that's listening today is that we are unable. We can see everybody else bound, but we cannot see ourselves. I pray that God will use this message as a mirror that we can see ourselves where we are, where we are, are bound up and controlled by an unseen power. And so she looks into the mirror. And then she says, she, she talks to, notice her. She's talking to Jesus. That's prayer, y'all. And she says to him, I'm just tired. I'm tired of trying to fix my life. And I realize I can't. I'm tired of trying to break this addiction. And I realize I can't. I'm just tired. And then she says to Jesus, just take me. And now what she meant by that, when she said, just take me, she simply meant, Jesus, take my life. Jesus, kill me. 
remove me from the planet. But when she did, you know what she did? She surrendered. Have your way. Come on now. <laughs> she surrendered, y'all. And heaven got excited because heaven said, that's what we've been waiting on all this time. We've been waiting on a total surrender. Somebody shout total surrender. She's totally surrendered control of her story. She said, I'm not going to take my life. Come on now. I've already, I've already, on one level, I've committed to you a month ago in the church, but, but, but I, you do it. I surrender. And it was in that moment she said she felt that warm, incredible experience of love that started like a little bubblegum experience that before it was all over, it exploded and it overtook her whole body. This warm love of, of the certainty of the love of the universe and Jesus showing up, capturing her. And suddenly she knew that she was loved. And the moment she knew that she was loved, then she knew that she was somebody. And when she knew that she was somebody, she could identify the lies of her yesterday. Come on now. And she had surrendered the control of her story to the God of the universe. She said, have your way, y'all. She surrendered. Is it time for you to surrender? Wow. Oh, yes, she surrendered. And Christina said she went to sleep that night. And she said, she said when she woke up the next morning, she said immediately when that warm love overtook her, the voices hushed. The next morning when she woke up, and from that moment, 18 years later, she's never, not, no more drugs, no more of that stuff. For 18 years, she's been free. Oh, my gosh. What is she free? What happened when she went to sleep in that moment when she said, take me, and she later went to sleep? She died to the control of her own story. And when she woke up, she woke up as a member in Jesus' story. Come on, y'all. Come on now. When you're in charge of your story, you try to make sure you're the hero of your story. But when you wake up in Jesus' story, you want him to be the hero of your story. You want him to be Lord. And so on yesterday, come on, Christina felt like she was a failure. But the next day when she woke up in Jesus' story, uh, she could declare, I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves me. Come on now on yesterday when she when, when she when, was in her story she she thought I can never complete anything she said that's what she believed because that's what she was told but when she woke up in Jesus's story come on now she can now declare uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When she went to sleep yesterday, she went to sleep a sinner. But when she woke up in Jesus' story, the word of the Lord declared, those who are in Christ Jesus, therefore there are, there is no condemnation for her. And the voices, hush. And 18 years later, she's helping us to plant churches, got two AA degrees. Y'all, they listed, hit it on to get her graduate degree because she know who she is. Watch it in Jesus's story. That's it. Let me end it here. It's fascinating how the story ends in the text, isn't it? The woman comes in bent over in shame and she exits. Y'all, they listed she exited, standing straight in joy, celebrating with the crowd. But the synagogue leader and his friends, they come in standing straight in, 
in prosperity and prestige. But because he misses his life-altering encounter and he refuses to surrender his story to, 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 the, to, to the God of the universe who shows up right there in the space with Jesus the moment that he has it, watch it. He leaves been overbound in shame with the voices of acquisition still keeping him bound. Which crowd will you leave this message with today? Will you leave with the crowd rejoicing about the great things that have happened in Jesus? Or will you leave bound up, refusing to surrender control of your own story? All right, I want to take just a moment here. I'm finished. I want to give you an opportunity now to, to just demonstrate in a concrete way that you're ready to surrender total charge of your entire story to Jesus as Lord and wherever he takes that story you will trust him and if that's your commitment wherever you are in the world I want to invite you if you're able just simply to stand just simply to stand and if you're not able to stand perhaps you're in a wheelchair etc just simply raise your hand and says, count me in. This is my moment of surrendering. Remain standing. Keep your hand raised. Oh, God, you have declared through your son Jesus that you have come to set the captives free. I pray right now in your mighty name, Jesus, that you will honor those whose hands are up, those who are standing courageously to declare, I surrender to you, Jesus, all total control of my story and my life and God I pray that you'll begin to set the captives free this hour later today and in the days and weeks to come you will set the captives free in Jesus name we pray thank God amen okay listen scan the QR code right on the screen and let's take the next step in your faith. The first thing you're going to see is our connection card, Next Steps with Jesus. This is the opportunity for somebody to say today, right now, I want Jesus to be Lord of my tomorrow and my destiny. I want to be a Jesus follower. Go ahead and check that box right now. There are several other options for you to check as well. And then note the message response. It's a prayer that I want to encourage you to pray throughout the course of the next seven days. Lord, help me to trust you above all and surrender all to you. You make that commitment, simply check the message response. And then the reflection question. I want you to wrestle with this reflection question. Take a photo of it if you can with your phone. How might my pride, fears, or past hurts be a barrier or barriers to my fully surrendering to God? Think through that question, all right? Now listen, one of the things about being a part of God's story, to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, is he calls us to serve. And we're going to have an amazing opportunity to serve on Easter Sunday. And so I want to give you a chance to go ahead and sign up and be one of the team members here who are serving. So at the bottom of our connection card, there's a range of options you can select. If you don't know what you want to select, just go ahead and check uh, that option and we will reach out to you. We need you to help us serve all the people God is going to send us online and in person on Easter. Do that today. Okay, 
I look forward to seeing you guys back here 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Pacific time right here online.